Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him, raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul now continues this argument of faith being the basis of righteousness, not of works, by using Abraham as an example. And he's going to use Abraham in three different ways here tonight. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this chapter down into three sections. We're going to deal with verses one through eight. We're going to look at that, then we're going to unpack verses 9 through 12, and then the last section of chapter 4. All right, so let's read again, look at with, me, with me at chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to break this section down. Uh, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? 
says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So go with me to Genesis chapter 15. He's saying that Abraham was justified by faith and not by his works. And so let's take a look at Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 6 to see what he's talking about. And this is going to be important for you to keep in mind where we saw this because it's going to come up a little bit later tonight. It'll be helpful for you. So go to Genesis chapter 15 and look at verses 1 through 6. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, if you're know the story at all. In chapter 12, we see that God had called Abram and told him to leave his family and his land and come to the land that he'd show him. He's going to make him a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Well, chapter 15 comes now and it's been a few years and there's been no baby. He and Sarah have been trying, no baby. She's still barren. So God comes to him and says, I'm your shield, your very great reward. And, and Abraham, or Abram at the time, his name hadn't been changed yet. He says, what are you going to give me? Because I don't have a child. You promised descendants and all this. I got, I got no child. And the custom is that a servant will become your heir. And Eliezer of Damascus, my servant, is going to have to be my heir. And God says to him, listen closely. He says, this, this guy will not be your heir, but a child from your very own body will be your heir. And Abraham believed him. And God says, you've been given righteousness now. You've been declared righteous because of your faith and my promise. Now, we're going to take a look at the depth of that promise and Abraham's faith as we get nearer the end of our study tonight. Much more on this later. But Paul quotes here in chapter 4 from Genesis 15, 1 through 6, and points out that Abraham was given righteousness as a gift when he believed God's promise. More on that later on. We're going to really dive into that because you're going to see, as we saw earlier tonight in chapter four, says he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. He didn't waver in his faith. And if you know the story, it sure looks like he did. I mean, here in chapter 15, he's going, hey, it ain't happening. We're going to break that all down later. And I cannot wait to show you how cool it is. And you'll see that the word of God is true. We'll get to that in a little bit. Paul, though, in our section in verses one through eight, then points out that the difference between a gift, he points out the difference between a gift and wages. A gift is not earned, but wages are earned. Wages are due. Uh, when you get your paycheck at the end of your pay period, your boss doesn't say, well, here's your gift. No, you earned it. You worked for it. Go to Romans chapter six. Look at verse 23. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the wages, that's what's earned, 
of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, what's due for sin is what? Death, all right? Now go back to Romans chapter 3 and look at verses 23 and 24 again. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Paul says this, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So before we read verse 24, what does everybody do? We're all do what? Death. The wages of sin, what's earned through sin is death. All have sinned. Therefore, everybody's due death. But look at verse 24. They're justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. He kind of clarifies it in chapter 6, verse 23. David even understood this, and that's why he quotes from Psalm 32 here in this section. Go back to Psalm 32 and look at verses 1 and 2. David never thought that there were things he had to do in order to be made right with God or righteous in God's sight. You remember back in, we've looked at that many times in Psalm 51. He said, you don't desire sacrifice or I'd give it. What you're looking for is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Look at uh, Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. David says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So Paul in this section just simply lays out that Abraham was given righteousness as a gift when he believed the promise of God. He believed God's promise God says, because you believe what I've promised, I'm going to give you righteousness. That's, we're going to lay the foundation of that. He didn't earn it. Does Abraham have anything to boast about? No, because he didn't do anything. It was given to him as a gift. David even understood this. And so that's all he's laid out in verses 1 through 8. And I know you're in for a shock, but we're done with verses 1 through 8. Now let's go and look at verses 9 through 12. In this, sorry, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, now in this section here, Paul has just reiterated that righteousness is not earned but given as a gift from God through faith in God's promise. And he used Abraham as the illustration. But he also knows, because of the culture of that day, which I'm going to lay out for you a little bit more in just a bit, he also knows that because of the culture of the day and the mindset of that day, that some people would say, okay, I got no problem with the fact that you said that God gave Abraham righteousness as a gift, but he's a Jew. They're his favorite. He wouldn't just give it to, to all of us. He would just probably give it to his favorites. And so then Paul lays out and he says, oh, hey, before you, go, before you go down that road, was Abraham given righteousness when he was a Jew or after, before he was a Jew or after he was a Jew? Because there was no nation of Israel. There was no Jew until God began 
the covenant of circumcision to mark the difference between them and the rest of the nations. And when does that happen? And if you don't know, it's in chapter 17. Go with me to chapter 17. Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis 17. Thank you. I'm glad you clarified. Genesis 17. Now, as you're turning to chapter 17, let me catch you up with what's going on between chapter 15, where Abraham believed God. Remember, he said, you promised me a while ago that I was going to be a mighty nation and all these people are going to be blessed through me. And I hadn't had a kid yet. And God says, listen, it's not going to be Eliezer of Damascus. It's going to be your ear, a son from your own body. Well, if you get to chapter 16, Sarah says, well, he didn't say my body. He said your body. He didn't say my body. Maybe you're supposed to make a baby with my handmaid. And he sleeps with Hagar. She gets pregnant and Ishmael is made. Chapter 17 now comes. And look at what it says in chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So God's talking like the covenant hasn't been put into place yet. He's promised it, but it hasn't, been, hasn't begun. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between uh, me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be your God. Jump down to verse 22. Sorry, we'll keep reading to verse 14. Then we'll jump to verse 22. And so God says to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring. Here's how he starts to designate who the nation of Israel is and the Jews are. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Jump down to verse 22. So when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. And as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So what chapter was he given righteousness? 15. 15 is when he was given righteousness, how many years later, at least, has he, does he start the circumcision? Well, he's 99, but Ishmael's how old? 
13. So it's at least 13 plus years after chapter 15. So we know now that actually, if you do a study, Abraham was 75 when God called him, and now he's 99. There's been many years. There's been a whole lot of years between he was given, when he was given righteousness and when he says, okay, now I'm going to designate who your people are, your descendants are. They're going to be circumcised in their foreskin. That happened many years later. So the mindset, though, in that day, and remember Paul's writing to people who are in Rome, but the Jewish mindset had spread throughout the globe. The mindset, unfortunately, of that day was the Jews, who were a special people, remember, we've already seen they've been given the covenants and the law and the promises, and they have a lot more advantage, yet they also have a lot more responsibility because God's going to judge us according to how much he's revealed to each of us, and our judgment will be meted out in that measure. At the same time, though, the Jews, instead of understanding that God's role was to use them as a light to all the nations— the Jews said, we're God's favorite. He's chosen us. We're special. He doesn't like you all. They called them barbarians and all this kind of stuff. If you remember, when the nation of Israel was taken captive into Babylon, there were some people that were real happy to stay there, and they intermarried with the Babylonians. And then when they were allowed to come back into the land, some of those people who had intermarried with the Babylonians and made babies, they wanted to come back. But the Jews would not let those people live in Israel proper like they are. So they all lived in Samaria. And what was the attitude toward the Samaritans in the mindset of the Jewish people? Half-breeds in their minds. They were part Jewish and part others, and they called them half-breeds. They actually wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would go out and around. Peter himself, even though he's come to faith in Christ, and the Spirit of God preaches through him at Pentecost, and all these people are saved. And remember, they're hearing him speak the gospel in Gentile languages. He still doesn't get it. And God has to have a vision come to him and a sheep come down with all these animals that are unclean. And God says, whatever I've called unclean, don't call unclean. And Peter then realizes that God's wanting him to go preach the gospel to a Gentile in their house. And the Jews would never even step foot in a Gentile's house because it was, they, were just, they were sinful and God didn't like them. And then Peter, if you read that story in Acts 10, he actually, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, just like it did them at Pentecost, he goes, now I know that God shows no favoritism and he accepts everybody from all nations. That mindset was so prevalent that Paul knew that he had to deal with, you guys are going to just jump to the conclusion, well, yeah, he was given righteousness, but he's a Jew, he's special. Now, let me chase something real quick, and then I'm going to show you something that may surprise you at this point in Romans. But let me just say this to you. Be careful. Because that same flesh problem and flesh attitude that the Pharisees and the religious leaders in, in Israel had, you and I have too. We're just as human as they are. And let me just tell you, folks, over the years, has not the church acted a little bit kind of that way when they look at the lost world? I mean, we're saved. We're, we're close to him. We're, we're children of God. We're special. And we see the wickedness of the world and we think, God likes us more. It's subconscious, but it's there. And the Bible actually says very clearly that God loves the lost person just as much as he loves you. You and I, who are children of God, get to experience the full extent of his love because we're no longer separated because of, a, because of our sin. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the lost person in hell just as much as he loves the saved person in heaven. He loves them the same. Because of 
our sin being removed. We're able to experience the fullness of his love. They're not. But don't think for a second that we're special and they're not. He loves them just as much. Go ahead. Exactly. He was a quote-unquote Gentile before when he was given righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. So Abraham was declared righteous because of the faith he had that he was going to be the uh, beginning of all nations, not that the seed was going to be coming from him. I told you, we're going to come back to that tonight. We're going to dive into that at the close. you got to wait until then, Glenn, all right? What did I say? I said he was given righteousness because he believed God's promise. I didn't answer that. <laughs> stick with me. We're going to deal into that tonight. We're going to get there tonight. But you got to you got to stick with the promise. Yes, it's it's it, it isn't just it isn't, I just believe what God's. No, no, no. It's the promise and we're going to get to that tonight. You got to stick and wait. So here's what I want to do that may surprise you. We're in chapter 4. And Paul still has to reiterate he's not favored because he's Jewish. Yet, as I'm about to bomb you with, he's already said it over and over and over in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And some of you might not have caught it, but let me just take you back. Go to Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to hit it fast because we got a lot to cover tonight, especially because Glenn's trying to get to the end of the lesson before it's time. But look closely at how many times Paul has already said salvation is for Jew and Gentile, for everyone. Romans chapter 1, look at verses 5 and 6. He's talking about his apostleship, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among who? All the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the who? Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first, they've been given more advantage, and also to the Greek, though. It's also been for them. It's always been open to them. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Go over to chapter 2. Look at verses 6 through 11. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does the evil. The Jew first, again, because of their added responsibility and the more they had revealed to him, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Go to chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. For circumcision is of, indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. I can't say it, uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Go to chapter 3. Look at verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Do you think he's using words that are pretty clear? Everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, he's been saying it over and over and over. Go to chapter three, look at verses 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So has Paul already been saying in the first three chapters, salvation's for everybody? But because of the mindset, like I told you, that was so prevalent, even in chapter four, he realized, I'm going to have to clarify again. Yes, he was given righteousness, but it wasn't because he was a Jew. It actually happened before he became, quote unquote, a Jew and was circumcised. The promise was given to him, as we're going to see later on tonight, to, to be a picture of everyone who believes. All right? Now, he also then goes back and goes back to the quote about how he'd be the father of many nations. Go back to chapter 17 again. We all know in chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. But in Genesis chapter 17, look again at verses 1 through 17, because Paul's quoting from here again. Genesis 17, verse, not 1 through 17, 1 through 7. Genesis 17, 1 through 7. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be, me be, and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and I'll give to you and to your offspring after you the land of the sojournings. All right, so he comes to him and he says, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. Yet this doesn't remove the distinction of the nation of Israel all through the scriptures the Bible says that God's salvation is for everyone, yet there still is a distinction, and God kept that as well. But Abraham was promised, you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, we understand, hopefully, through the New Testament that that is possible through faith in Jesus and given righteousness, and it, you, all the nations of the earth, are, that's available to everyone, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But the Jews clouded the message and not only focused on works instead of faith, they acted also acted as if righteousness was only available to the Jews, those who kept their law. So Paul, 
the minister to the Gentiles pointed out that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are both recipients of the promises made to Abraham and his descendants. Here's what we're going to do. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through chapter 3, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and we're going to read all the way into chapter 3, verse 6. This is very important because Paul had been set apart by God before he was born to be a minister to the Gentiles. Even though he was the Jew of Jews, taught by Gamaliel, raised as a Jew, followed the law strictly, became a Pharisee, persecuted the church, God saved him and said, I've chosen you. As much as you want to go preach to the Jews, I've chosen you to go preach to the Gentiles. And Paul was given insight into some things that the Old Testament hadn't revealed yet, and the prophets in the Old Testament didn't understand, but the New Testament prophets were beginning to understand, and the apostles were understanding, and we're going to take a look at it, and it'll hopefully be helpful for some of us. Go to Ephesians 2, start in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. That's that mindset that was in the world. Remember that you were at, one, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, keep reading. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, stick with me. Did the Old Testament say that Gentiles would be saved? Yes, over and over and over. Even Simeon understood that when Jesus was brought into the temple that time to be circumcised on the eighth day and, 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 and dedicated to the Lord later on. Sorry, he was circumcised on the eighth day when he was brought into the temple to be, to, to be offered to the Lord. Simeon was there and Simeon prophesied that he would be a light to the Gentiles. Had been, had been, the Old Testament talked about the fact that Gentiles would be saved. But the mystery that was now being revealed to Paul and to the church leaders was that the Gentiles would not only be saved, but they would be included in all of God's promises for the nation of Israel. All the promises to Abraham and his descendants are now ours through faith. 
actually, we've got it a little bit better right now than the Jews because they've experienced a hardening in part until the full number of what comes in? The Gentiles. And then at the end of the tribulation period, all the nation of Israel that survives is going to be saved. Actually, if you go back and look at Ezekiel 36, and you'll see Ezekiel chapter 36, God makes this promise. And he says to him, he says, one day I'm going to gather you Jews and I'm going to erase your sin. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to put my spirit within you and move you to follow my decrees. Isn't that what we've been given now? He's erased our sin. He's washed us clean. He's put a spirit within us. And salvation is to Jew and Gentile both. And the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. But that doesn't mean he's done with the nation of Israel. Even though God was going to use Abraham to make him a father of a multitude of nations, don't fall into the trap of thinking there's no such thing as the nation of Israel anymore. Because otherwise, there wouldn't need to have been the circumcision process. He was still making a distinction because he's doing something. And he's got a purpose and a plan. And the book of Romans clearly in chapter 11 says three times, Paul keeps saying, is God done with Israel? No. He's still got a plan for Israel. And then he goes on and he says, if we Gentiles have been grafted in as a wild olive shoot, don't think you're better than the natural branches. Because if we've been able to be grafted in as a wild branch, he's very able to graft back in the natural branches. And he's going to. And so we got to keep in mind this, this balance of the fact that there still is a nation of Israel when it says there's no male or female, no Jew or anything like that, which we're going to read in just a second. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that means that there's no more Jew. Because does that mean there's no more male or female? No, what he was saying in that passage that we're going to see in Galatians is that when it comes to the foot of the cross, the ground's level. Everybody has equal access to the Father. Whether you're a guy or a girl or a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, you all have equal access to the Father. But that doesn't remove the fact that the New Testament clearly teaches that there are distinctions and roles between men and women. There's a distinction between Israel and the church. There's a lot of people who have taken that passage and told it, blown it up out of context. So since Paul is laying out that the Jews... So let me back up. Abraham was given righteousness before he was even, quote unquote, a Jew. That means righteousness is available to all who believe in the promise of God, just like Abraham had been given that promise. But there's a problem. All right. We've already saw in the verses one through eight. He's dealing with the fact that people thought that righteousness was earned. And he says, no, it's a gift. How did Abraham get it? Did he earn it? No, he believed God's promise and he, was, he received it as a gift. So using Abraham, he shows righteousness is a gift, not something you earn. Oh, but he's special because he's a Jew. No, verses 9 through 12, he lays out he was given that gift of righteousness before he was circumcised. So it's available to everyone, whether you're circumcised or not. What he's going to deal with now, though, in the last section of, of our Romans 4, chapter 4 is this. They thought that their righteousness, the Jews thought their righteousness came through adherence to what? The law. Let's go to Romans chapter 4 and look at verses 13 through 25. It says, For the promise to Abraham, verse 13, and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherence of the law... For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. 
For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist... In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Keep that in mind, Glenn, because we're going to start to answer your question. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord and who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So, We're going to break this section down in the time we have left here tonight. Since the Jews believe that their righteousness came from the obedience to the law, their works, quote unquote, tied to God's law, Paul now points out that Abraham's promise did not come from or through the law, but Abraham's actions demonstrated his faith. That's what we're going to get to in the time we have left. Does anybody know how many years it was between when Abraham was given righteousness and when the law of God actually came? 430. Not bad, Jer. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 15 through 29. And listen closely to what Paul says here. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his, what? Offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Well, it was added because of the transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came and ordered that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, the law came 430 years later. But here, the Jews all of a sudden developed this theology that the righteous who obey God's law are the ones who are going to be given righteousness. And the ones who don't obey God's law, they're the wicked and God's not going to like them. Well, when was Abraham given righteousness? 430 years before the law even came. And Paul says, once that covenant was ratified, you can't annul it with another one. It's still in place. And so the law has a purpose, which we'll get to in just a second. The law has a purpose. God had brought the law for a reason, but it didn't take away that righteousness was by faith in God's promise. And God had promised through your offspring. And now Paul brings this out and he says, by the way, he was talking about an individual offspring of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. It was going to come through the promised one, Isaac, and then another, and another, and then another. And, but that, this, that offspring that God was pointing to was Jesus all along. Now, there's another aspect of what's happened in Abraham's life that we're going to need to add to kind of break down how Abraham didn't waver in his promise, or in, in his faith concerning the promise. Remember, in chapter 12, he's told, leave your family and your land, come to a land that I'll show you, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be mul multiple nations are going to come from you. Well, many years later, he still hadn't had a kid in chapter 15. And that's when God says, listen closely, a child from your own body is going to be your heir. Now, he's still thinking descended. And it is. But the promise was really pointing to who? Way down the road, Jesus. And if you remember back in our study of Matthew, remember Matthew chapter 1, verse 1? When it describes Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham, of the family of David, and so on. He clarifies he's the promised one that was pointed to. Now, at this point, like I said, chapter 15, he believes it. He really believes it. Sarah says, well, he didn't say my body. So they make Ishmael. God says, not the one I was talking about. Chapter 17, Abraham even calls out. We didn't get to that section. He says, oh, that your promise would come through Ishmael. And God says, no, it's not through Ishmael. And then in chapter 18, God shows up and he tells Sarah, she laughs when she hears it, but he says, a year from now, you and Abraham are going to have a child. Now, go back with me to Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. This must be after chapter 16, correct? All right. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. He what in his faith? Oh, you telling me his faith was a little bit weaker at one point and got stronger in the process? Man, that makes me feel better. Doesn't that make you feel better? He believed in chapter 15. He really did. 
He didn't have a full understanding of it, but he believed and he was given righteousness. Over time, as God revealed more, he believed more and more. And there came a point where he said, even though I'm as good as dead and my wife's barren, he and Sarah, we don't have to have the talk, do we? You all understand what this is saying that he did and he and Sarah did? I don't need to go through the birds and the bees with you, I think, right? You understand, he, even though he knew that he was as good as dead and his wife was barren, God made a promise and his faith, even though it was enough to be given righteousness in chapter 15 and he didn't fully understand it, he grew stronger in his faith and he and Sarah went and tried to make a baby. Would have loved to hear that conversation. Honey, God says we're supposed to. But I've tried that, by the way. It doesn't work all the time. So, but... The, we'll come back to Abraham's faith though in just a second. But the law came in 430 years later to do a job until the promised offspring finally showed up. The Bible calls it, we read here in Galatians 5, that the law was like a guardian, a schoolmaster, some of the translations will say. Actually, there, there was a role back in older times where a wealthy father would hire someone to help raise the kid. And it was to teach him how to do stuff and to prepare them for the time when they were old enough to go out on their own. The law came in to be the guardian, the schoolmaster. The law served two purposes. One, it pointed continually to the coming offspring. That's why the law said that the sacrifices had to be offered every year. Hebrew writer tells us, they were pointing to the fact that it wasn't taking away sin because if it was taking away sin, it would have ceased to being, being offered. But the fact that they had to be offered every year was evidence that this isn't really taking away your sin. It's just kind of taking care of you until a future time. And all these sacrifices were pointing to the coming offspring. At the same time, the law did what else? It fueled sin. You remember Romans chapter 5? Go to Romans 5. Look at verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus's, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, we've already saw in Romans 3, 19 and 20 that the whole world will be held accountable. The law reveals that no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. They just become conscious of their sin. It's showing them what they need. It's pointing to the one that they need. But on, to on top of that, it was also, because of our flesh, making us want to sin more. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says the fuel or the power of sin is the law. And we've already talked about that over and over, that you a lot of times don't even think about doing something until someone says you can't do that. Now you want to. Here's the deal, though. Where there is no law, sin is not taken into account. You all know of anybody, you might be one of those people, who think they might have cancer, but they ain't going to go to the doctor because if I go to the doctor, he'll, he might say I have cancer. And then if he says I have it, I have it. But if I don't ever go to him, I don't have it. That's foolish because if you got it, 
You got it, whether someone says you got it or not. But what does the doctor do? He uses MRI machines or CAT scans and take it from a guy that's had cancer. It didn't give me cancer. I already had it. But it revealed it. It showed it was there. In the same way, that's what the law does. But it does it by actually, thank God the MRI machine, CAT scan didn't make it grow. But the law actually makes it grow, the sin problem that we have. But Abraham's faith was in God's promise, God's word, that through him, Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And this would come through his physical offspring. Now, I'm going to show you something that some of you might know and some of you might not. But there's a story in the Old Testament, which we're going to get to in just a second. But it's also pointed out in the book of Hebrews that shows how much Abraham believed the promise that God had made. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 17 through 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, we'll come back to that. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Did you catch that? So Isaac's not the offspring that he was promising. We've always read Genesis 15, 6 as Isaac being the promised offspring. No, it was always Jesus. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead. And from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Go to Genesis 22. Remember, his faith was growing. He believed that, that God would, give, would provide this offspring. And when he had faith that God would do what he said and give him this offspring, God gave him righteousness. He didn't fully understand, but he grew in his faith, made a few mistakes in chapter 16, asked a few more questions in chapter 17. But when God revealed, no, 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 it's between you and Sarah, he believed, acted on it. The miracle baby Isaac was born. But he was also told that through Isaac, this one right here, that promised offspring is going to come. But then a few years later, when Isaac's about 13, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take him up on a mountain and kill him for me. Go to chapter 22. Look at verses 1 through 12. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. Now on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, both of us, will go over there and worship and come again to you. Did you catch that? I and the boy are going to go, and we're coming back. All right, 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then, of course, he looks up and what does he see? He sees a ram caught in the thicket. So has anybody ever thought about that for a second? The lamb that had been provided for the sacrifice how was it caught? It had a crown of thorns, didn't it? Its head was caught in the thicket by its horns. It had a crown of thorns. Folks, the more you look at the scriptures, the more you see they've been pointing to Jesus all along. Now, what did Hebrew tell us? Hebrews tell us, though. Hebrews tells us something that we had never really thought about. Was Abraham going to kill his son? Yes, he was going to kill his son. But he believed that God was going to have him come back from the dead. By the way, had there been any rising from the dead that we have recorded here prior to this? No, there's no Lazarus story yet. There's no Jairus' daughter story yet. There's no evidence that there was any rising from the dead prior to this. I'm sorry? Elijah's not for many years. At this point, there's no, there's no rising from the dead. But he so believed that he went and made a baby with a lady who had been barren and he was 100 years old and he didn't grew strong in his faith. And then when years later, God says, I want you to come and kill this baby that I promised you that this, the offspring that you've put your faith in would come through him. All right, I'll do what you say, but you're going to have to bring this guy back from the dead because you said it was going to be through him. And hope against hope, he believed that God would do what he had promised. Folks, that's faith. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Was Abraham's faith tested? Oh, it sure was. Do you think God might test yours and mine a few times? James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance and so on. It produces the growth that God's wanting. Folks, don't be surprised when God has you go through things that make you say, God, do you really love me? Are you really there? It's a testing of your faith. Oh, but if your faith's real, you're going to believe that God's going to be able to do what he said he would do. And he said he'd give me eternal life if I believed. And as this one older lady said one time, if I could believe anymore, I would. So I believe. Man, I love that. Oh, but this promise that he would be given righteousness because of his faith wasn't just for him. It was also for who else? All of us. It's all for all of us. That's what, go back to Romans 4. Look at our last two verses, and we're going to be able to finish tonight. Look at Romans 4, verses 23 and following. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, let me ask you a question. Doesn't it sound a little crazy that God would just give you righteousness because you believe in somebody you've never seen? Anybody ever here seen Jesus? Anybody here when he was crucified? Anybody here when he was risen from the dead? Then what do you put your faith in? You didn't see it. The promises of God. The word of God. You believe it. And he said it. And that's all he's looking for. Oh, I can't wait till we start breaking down chapters following that deal with how to live our Christian life by faith now. And how to experience the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that lives within us. Can't wait to go down that road. But let this sink in for tonight. Abraham was just given righteousness because he believed that God was able to do what he said he promised. And the word of God says that if you believe, I'll give it to you. And some of you, I'm pretty sure all of you, if you're like me, you believed when you trusted him. You didn't fully understand. And even now, we don't fully understand but has your faith been growing over the years? Are you growing strong in your faith? I hope you are. It's evidence of our salvation. And Abraham, he had some questions, but he grew strong in his faith. He had enough faith to be saved, and he grew stronger in his faith, believing that God was able to do what he promised. Go to Romans chapter 10. Go to Romans chapter 10. We'll finish with verses 8 through 13. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. You notice he's pointing it out again. <laughs> They had a problem back then. We got it still to this day. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We'll get to this later on in further study, but the book of James almost didn't make the Bible. It really didn't. If you do a study of how we got our Bible and which books were chosen to be canon, because there's a lot of writings out there, but they were proven not to be actually inspired by God. And there were two books that almost didn't make it. One was the book of Hebrews, because one of the standards was you had to know who wrote the book. So if you know it was an apostle or whatever, and we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Actually, I'll fill you in. You know who wrote the book of Hebrews? And it's being recorded. I'll say it. Jesus did. Jesus wrote it, all right? So that solves that debate. But the book of Hebrews made it in because it was obvious that God inspired it. But the book of James almost didn't make it either because if you go to chapter 2, James says, you say you have faith? Let me see it by your works. And he actually starts talking about how works are evidence of faith. And for years, the early Bible Men uh, and the early church fathers were wrestling with, they thought James was contradicting Paul because Paul said you're saved by grace and not by works, by faith alone. James says, yeah, you got to have works. But actually over time it became evident that actually James was saying the same thing as Paul, but he was simply saying, if you have faith, 
it's going to be evidenced. There's going to be evidence. What was the evidence that Abraham believed that God was able to do the crazy thing he promised? He slept with Sarah to go make a baby when it was well past time for that. Years ago, and I'll close with this, I was uh, going to preach at the CETA, the homeless shelter here in town, and I took with me a couple of friends of mine. One was in his 80s and the other one was in his 90s. And we were, as we were driving to go to CETA while I was going to preach, uh, Tony Evans was on the radio and they were going to do it, he was going to do a talk about sex. And it's like they always do on the radio, they make the little disclaimer, hey, if you've got young children, this is what we're going to talk about tonight, you might want to put them in another room. So I jokingly turned the radio down, turned to these two men in my car, one 80 and one is in his 90s, and I said, uh, um, are you guys okay if we listen to this? Because I don't want you uncomfortable or anything. And the 90-year-old in the back seat made this joke. He said, oh, I gave that sin up a long time ago. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but Abraham didn't just believe. He evidenced his Faith with action. Peter is preaching at Pentecost and the people are cut to their heart and they say, what shall we do? And what does he say? He says, repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus and be what? Be baptized. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. Don't be afraid to let people know that you believe him because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of him here, he'll be ashamed of you when it's time for you to get into heaven. So do you believe? Good. Tell somebody. I love you all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.